Hello and welcome to the Believer's Guide to Christianity. This is our New Christians course part one. And today what we're going to do is look at the Bible. And I've, I've entitled this Know Your Bible. And you'll know why I've entitled it that when we get through it. Um, the Bible can be a daunting book when you first open it. You know, it's such a thick book. It's got so much in it. But with a little instruction, you'll find that it actually has a beautiful logic and a rhythm and a flow to it. Amen? And, uh, and just in the way that the books are organized and set out. The word Bible itself is not a scriptural word. It comes from the Greek for the papyrus plant, Biblos. That's B-I-B-L-O-S. The reason I spelled it out is because I've got a footnote to say that some believe that the Greeks based it on the ancient Phoenician seaport city named Byblos, which is B-Y-B-L-O-S, which was known for its export of papyrus. Regardless, by the second century AD, Christians were using the plural form, Biblia, B-I-B-L-I-A, and this word then traveled through the Latin and into Old French until it finally reached English and emerged as the word Bible. Chuck Swindle says, though it is a collection of many books by many different authors, the Bible can rightly be called one book since it has one heavenly author, God, and one main message. Now, there are 66 books in this Bible, and they are divided up in several ways. The first major division is the Old Testament and the New Testament. Okay, sometimes it's written as OT, capital O, capital T, and sometimes capital N, capital T for New Testament, okay, or the New Testament. Now, the Old Testament is the first half of your Bible, and it consists of 39 books. It was originally written in Aramaic and Hebrew, and the books are categorized into either four or five major categories, depending on how you look at it. Some people break the major and minor prophets up as two different categories. We're going to keep it as one, so I'm going to classify them as, as four major categories. The four major categories are the legal, which are the first five books of the Bible. Now, the reason they're called legal, they are historical as well, but it's where the law was given, and it's the Pentateuch. So that's why they're classified as legal, because it was written by Moses as well. So that whole group was put together. The next section is historical. The one following that is wisdom and poetry, and the last is prophetical. Now, within these major subdivisions, the book themselves are set out in the following order. Now, I'm going to be going through the Old Testament books. There's a lot there, but I'm going to be going through them fairly quickly because I want to get to the New Testament and share some scripture with you when I get to them. All right, so if I'm rushing through it, it's because of that. I don't want this to become something that you just came and you listened and got a whole lot of information with no inspiration. I'm very careful not to do that. All right, so let's go through this quickly. First, there are the five legal books called the Pentateuch, which are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, all penned by Moses. Briefly, Genesis is the book of origins or beginnings. The first part, which is chapters 1 through 11, actually covers a period of 2,000 years. I don't know if you knew that or not, but just in those first 11 chapters, we have 2,000 years of history covered. While chapters 12 to the end of the Old Testament is the rest of the 2,000 years. What this tells me is that God spent as much time with the Gentiles as he did with the Jews. You all understand that the Jew came from a Gentile. And you need to understand something that it was 2,000 years with Gentiles and 2,000 years with Jews, and then came the church age where there's no Jew or Gentile. Are you all with me? 
Amen? So God's given us equal time, and it's been another 2,000 years. Have you seen the calendar? Remember, Noah wasn't a Jew. And thank God for him, he restarted the whole human race. Amen. Just saying. All right, so chapters 1 through 11 gives us an account of creation, humanity's fall into sin, the flood of Noah, and the Tower of Babel. That's where all the different languages originated, okay? Second part, chapters 12 through 50, covers a period of 300 years, and it's a story of God's plan to redeem mankind through Abraham, later through Isaac and Jacob, all right? Now, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. That's where Israel comes from, by the way, okay? So, so that you guys know where all this comes from. The book ends with Joseph. It's in Genesis 50. It ends with Joseph, one of Jacob's 12 sons. Had a lot of kids, didn't he? All right. <laughs> Living in Egypt as Pharaoh's second in command, along with his entire family. There's a big story behind that. I don't have time. Exodus picks up where Genesis left off. Now, this is after the death of Joseph and the Pharaoh that appointed him as second. All right. He died. Joseph died. They all forgot what actually happened. And a new Pharaoh comes in, looks at the, uh, the Israelites and says, they're getting too many. We're worried about it. So we're going to enslave them. Dumb move. Okay. Right? So he enslaves them. And then God raises up Moses. To, this is in Exodus. To deliver them from bondage through a series of plagues. Each, thank you, Pastor Verdi, each a direct attack on one of the gods that the Egyptians worshipped. Isn't that something? I didn't know that. Every one of those plagues attacked one of their gods to say that God, our God, was superior. Hello, amen. I thought that was pretty awesome. After their departure, or exodus, the name of the book, okay, from Egypt, God then gives them the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. That's the reason why the books of the law, okay? And, and that's why they call that legal books. So Leviticus chronicles a series of laws that God gives his people in the desert to govern their festivals and sacrifices. Numbers goes on to tell the story of Israel's disobedience to God and refusal to enter the promised land, which results in them wandering around the desert for 40 years. You all know that one, right? Okay, until the entire rebellious generation dies off and a new generation rises up and is ready to do as God asks. The book itself gets its name from the census that was conducted at the beginning of the book to number, numbers, okay, to number the size of God's army that would have conquered the promised land. Isn't that sad? All right, so that's where numbers comes from. Last book of that five is Deuteronomy, um, and it means the second law. Now, it is basically a repeat of the laws of God that God gave his people on, at Mount Sinai, except this time it is to the new generation that needed to hear it for themselves and renew their covenant with God. I always wonder why they repeated it all. It was so this next, this Joshua generation would rise up. They needed to hear it all again so that they could then know the promises that God had given them so they knew God was with them as they went forward. Amen? All right, second, there are the 12 historical books. They are Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. You know, I forgot to say that this, we're working off this little flyer here, by the way. Okay, so if you've got one of these, it's, it's, uh, it's just got a brief outline. I'm giving you a lot more detail. All right, okay. 
The book of Joshua, let's begin there, continues the history of the Israelites after the death of Moses and goes in to talk about the conquest of Jericho and all of Canaan. And after all those exciting chapters, then it gets really boring. Because <laughs> okay? he goes in to chronicle the division of the land among all the people. Okay? The book of Judges begins with after the death of Joshua. So we're following a sequence here. All right? And goes in to talk about how Israel enters a cycle of turning from God, falling captive to oppressive nations, calling out to God and being rescued by leaders God sends their way called judges. I love that. Okay? And they include Deborah, Gideon, you know, the guy with the fleece. You know, okay, remember? Okay, all right, <laughs> yes. And of course, we know Samson, you know, and Delilah. Okay, all right. Okay, they're just some of the judges there. Then we go on to the book of Ruth. Uh, which is written in the time of Judges, and follows two widows. It's just a beautiful book when you read that, especially you know, when you see the dedication of Ruth to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and how she will not leave her side. And uh, she came from different sort of a background, you know, where she worshipped other gods, and then she, would, she actually said, no, I want to worship your god. And the way God blessed her and she became a part, she was now in the lineage of Jesus Christ. This woman that was outside of the covenant. See, God doesn't care. You know, people do, but God doesn't. He just loves everybody the same. And it's a, just a gorgeous book. Anyway, uh, so let me just reread this again. The book of Ruth is written in the time of Judges and follows two widows, Naomi and her daughter-in-law Ruth, they both lost their husbands, in an effort to illustrate the difference between a nation that does not follow God, the book of Judges, and a nation that does, which is Ruth. All right, the books of First and Second Samuel is the story of Samuel, who is the last judge and the first prophet after Moses. People believe that Moses is a prophet, so we got to give him that one. All right, <laughs> okay. He anoints Saul, the first king. He was the first king of Israel, all right, was Saul, who sadly disobeys God and falls in battle, giving rise to the greatest king Israel ever had, the giant slaying, Goliath slaying King David. Okay, <laughs> everybody loved him. <laughs> all right, so then come the books of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. They go on to narrate the kingship of David and his son Solomon, as well as a selection of several southern kings in the land of Judah and their judgment into exile, because they were disobedient. All right, then the books of Ezra and Nehemiah uh, should be seen as one volume that narrates the return of the exiles from Babylon and the reestablishment of the laws of God, the worship of God, and Israel's festivals. So you can see how this thing is laid out. Are you, are you getting this? Okay. The twelfth and final historical book is the book of Esther, which tells the story of Queen Esther, a Jew, who during the exile of Israel saves her people from an evil plot to destroy them. That's all I'm going to say about it. Because <laughs> if I get into this, we'll preach and it will take forever. I'm, I'm trying to get through 66 books here. Okay, all right. Third, third. Okay. There are the five books of wisdom and poetry. With, which are Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. If you get to know this in this kind of order, instead of trying to remember 39 books, if you can remember four sections, you'll kind of know kind of where to go to look for something. When somebody tells you, turn to something, you go, okay, it's got to be around here somewhere. Okay? Uh, so, for example, you know, you hit the prophets, you think, and you, I told you to turn to Psalms or whatever, you know you went too far. 
You know what I'm trying to say? Okay, all right. So, where was I? Okay, so the books of wisdom and poetry. So again, these are Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. They all clearly show the power of God's Spirit to move people's hearts. Contain some of the most beautiful passages of Scripture in the entire Bible. We all know Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Okay? And so on and so forth. I'm not going to do anything more than that. There's a lot of good things in there. One of my favorite verses is Job 8-7. Though your beginning is small, your latter end shall greatly increase. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. But again, that's all right. Fourth and finally, there are 17 prophetical books, which consists of five major prophets and 12 minor prophets. Okay? There's five major prophets, which are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel, and then 12 minor prophets, which are Hosea, Joel, Amos, a whole bunch of others, and Malachi. All right? They're, they're, my, they're, they're minor only in size, not in importance. They have some very important things to say. If they're only called minor because they're like a couple of chapters, you know? All right? as opposed to the others that have a lot of chapters in them. All right, it is in these books that we find warnings and glorious encouragements to men, such as Isaiah 40 and verse 31. You know, those who wait upon the Lord, he shall renew their strength, and so on and so forth. Amen. We also find the fall of Satan in here. That's in Ezekiel um, 28 and 12, and Isaiah uh, 14 and verse 12 onwards. Those are sections that give you that. And also the prophecy of the coming Messiah. Remember the favorite verse, or you know, that famous verse that we look at, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. That's in Isaiah, okay? And the government will be upon his shoulders. You know, a lot of people don't actually catch on to what it's saying. Can I read this out to you and just point one or two things out to you? Okay? All right, so notice it says here, For unto us a child is born, Unto us a son is given. You know the son needed to be given. He didn't need to be born. Because he already existed. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Amen. So you understand that, that first part. For us a child was born. But God gave his son. He was already there. And I want you to notice something. You know, It's always puzzled me when I read this verse. It says, And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name. His name. Whose name? The Lord's name. Okay? The one that is given. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. That used to throw me every single time. I thought, hang on, did we switch somewhere? If you've seen me, Jesus said, you've seen the Father. I don't do anything that I don't see my Father doing. Me and the Father are one. Amen. And Isaiah, way back in the Old Testament, saw that. Isn't it sad that the Jews of his time didn't recognize that? And they want to stone him and kill him every two seconds. You know? <laughs> you know? And he said, for what wonderful works do you want to stone me? Well, it ain't the works. It's funny because the other Jews said, we know you are from God because of the works. And the ones that saw the works didn't accept them, and said, show us a sign. <laughs> he said, forget about the signs. He said, yeah, there'll be a sign. When I resurrect from the dead, you'll know. You know, that's why when he talked about his body as a temple, you know, 
and so on and so forth. I don't have time for that. All right, back to this. Okay. <laughs> uh, and he says, everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Hallelujah. In the Old Testament, the prophets were God's primary way of speaking to his people. They would deliver God's will and God's word to them. Of course, once Jesus came, all that changed. All right. And the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 1, Verses 1 and 2. Long ago, verse 1, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And they said, yes, we get that. Watch verse 2. But now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. So when, once, you know, once Jesus came, all of that finished. And now God would speak directly through his son. Amen? And that leads us right into the New Testament and the four Gospels. All right. Now, the New Testament consists of 27 books. Okay, Old Testament 39, New Testament 27, adds up to 66, I hope. All right, <laughs> they two are subdivided into four major sections. It could be five, but we're keeping it to four. All right, four for the old, four for the new. The sections are the Gospels, which are biographical, the Book of Acts, which is the only historical book there is, the Epistles, all right, which are doctrinal. This is where you can get either sort of one or two, where we get the letters of Paul and the general epistles. I put them all together because they're all epistles. All right? So that's why we have that as one. And then the book of Revelation, which is prophetical. Now, here are the books in order. <laughs> First, there are the Gospels. All right? Remember, there's four Gospels, all right, which detail the life of Christ. They are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All right? Matthew presents Jesus as the son of David a king, and the son of Abraham, a Jew. Hence, the king of the Jews. When you read Matthew 1.1, that's how it begins. All right? The son of David, the son of Abraham. And it's really important that you see that, okay? And one way or the other, those two designations are there to say he's king and he's Jew. Okay? And so he's a king and the Jew. That's what Matthew's message is. Mark sees him as a righteous servant of God, who perfectly follows God's will. Luke, the physician, the only Gentile author, by the way, of God's word, reveals him as the compassionate son of man who came to save the whole world. Now, these first three Gospels are called synoptic Gospels. They together see synoptic. They complement each other perfectly, including many of the same stories and are sometimes even identical in their wording. Now, they stand in contrast to John, whose content is largely distinct. It's original, okay? John's main focus is Jesus as the eternal Son of God, who is one with the Father and himself God. So those are the four Gospels. Second, there's the book of Acts, also written by Luke. It is the only historical book in the New Testament detailing now the ascension of Christ, the arrival of the Holy Spirit, and the activities of the apostles, okay? All right, third are the epistles. Now, I'm going to slow down here a little bit and give you some, share some scriptures, because right? <laughs> I know you're in overload right now. But uh, I'm, I'm praying that this is helping you as well. Hopefully, you'll know your Bible a little bit more now and understand when you're reading what's actually in there. All right, so now we come to the epistles, which are the doctrinal letters written by the apostles, such as Paul and James, Peter, John, and Jude, to address specific problems, concerns, and doctrinal issues in the church. They are set out in the following order. First, we have the letters of Paul. All right. Now, the letters of Paul are either named after the church that he wrote to or the individual he wrote to. 
All right. Whereas the general epistles, those following this, are given the names of the ones that actually wrote them. Do you understand? Okay. So when you're looking at Paul's letters, they are to do with a church or an individual that he wrote to. All right. Romans. That's the first one we come to. Was written to the church at Rome. Okay. That's it. Okay. <laughs> All right. It deals with justification by faith. And a key verse, I'm going to give you key verses, all right? Now, you might think of a better one. I'm sorry, okay? This is the best I could do, all right? But I, these are some of the, I believe, key verses in these books. A key verse in Romans is Romans 5.1, where it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Then we have First and Second Corinthians. Now, there's a lot more stuff in Romans, obviously, and a lot of verses. I love a lot of verses in Romans. If... If we had time, I'd go through all of them, but I don't. All right, First and 2 Corinthians are the letters that follow Romans, and there are two letters written to the church at Corinth. The first letter addresses Christian conduct and how to deal with various issues, such as sin and spiritual gifts and so on. The second letter praises the congregation for their obedience and faithfulness to do as Paul had actually said. So, you know, he was happy to see their progress. Okay, now we know 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18, if anyone is in Christ. He's a new creation. Hallelujah. These are some beautiful verses in there. Uh, and again, verses that we need to take to heart. You know, Romans told us that our, you know, justification is by faith. Second Corinthians tells us that, you know, when we come in, we are brand new creations. Amen. And I love it that it says all things are of God. The, all the old things have passed away. Amen. Hallelujah. Then we get to Galatians. Now, it's written to the church at Galatia and deals with the spirit-led life. Love that book. Yep, okay. <laughs> and resisting false doctrine and salvation by works. A couple of key scriptures. Galatians 3.1 really hits right dead center when it says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Verse 3 says, After starting your Christian lives in the spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort in the flesh? So that's really the heart and soul of Galatians. It's saying, be spirit-led. Don't start in the spirit and then end up trying to do it yourself. Amen? Ephesians, there's a lot more in there, but we don't have time. Ephesians is written to the church at Ephesus and deals with the power of divine grace and our position in Christ. Key verses, Ephesians 2.8, For by grace have you been saved through faith, that not of yourself, it is a gift of God. And also Ephesians 2.6, God has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah! Oh, I got to say amen to that one. <laughs> okay, you know, we are no longer just down here. That's the beauty. When you get saved, something happens to you. You translate into another dimension. And you are seated next to God. That's why all you have to do when you pray is turn around and go, I need help. <laughs> you don't have to go, oh God, you're up there somewhere. No, no, you're seated right next to him. Amen? Hallelujah. Philippians is written to the church at Philippi, where Paul, having been imprisoned for preaching the gospel, thanks this church for supporting him and tells them to rejoice in the fact that the gospel of Christ was being preached all over the world despite his imprisonment. It didn't matter. You know, you can try to imprison people, but the gospel keeps going. Right. Amen? Hallelujah. Key verses is Philippians 3.1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And we all know Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? Hallelujah. Colossians. 
is written to the church at Colossae, where Paul says that regardless of what false teachers claim, Christ is the Savior, Lord, and Creator of all things. Key verse, Colossians 1.16, one of my favorite verses, for by Him all things were created that are in heaven and are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. Amen. Always remember that. Anything coming at you, it was created by Him and for Him and can be rebuked. Because it ain't working for Him if it's coming against you. Amen? <laughs> All right. Okay. First and Second Thessalonians are two letters written to the church at Thessalonica and deals with the second coming of Christ. If you want to know about that, that's the book, those are the books to read. Okay? Key verses, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 17. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we, who are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. All right, these are promises. These are not we hope. Okay, First and Second Timothy follows. There are two letters written to Paul's protege, Timothy, about how to lead a church. So this is a book you want to read. If you want to pastor a church, read these books, okay? And Titus. They're called pastoral epistles, all right? And so again, it's about how to lead a church, preach the rightly divided word, and hold fast to the faith. How to hold fast to the faith. The key verse, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you teach, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. And that's the way we lead, is by example. Amen? Titus. <laughs> I love Titus. He is this written to Paul's partner in ministry by the same name, who was pastoring one of the most difficult churches at the time. The church at Crete. You know, this is where you get the term Cretan from. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, okay. <laughs> Do you know what it means? It means stupid, vulgar. It, it also means insensitive. That's what a cretin is. Okay, so don't call them unless they're all those things. All right. <laughs> don't call them that anyway. Anyways. <laughs> and he instructs them how to deal with them in the most efficient and effective way. You know, I love somebody once said he had, a, you know, Titus had a three point sermon. Sit down, shut up, and listen. That's what it was, I think. <laughs> okay? Because <laughs> they would argue constantly about everything. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 12 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all people, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, you know where this is written to, right? Okay? That we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Amen. That's, that's the message you preach to difficult people, okay? Philemon is written to a believer in Colossae by, by that same name, with Paul asking him to forgive and receive back his converted, escaped slave with kindness, as he knows he will because of his incredible godly character. The key verse in there, there's no chapters, it's just one chapter, is verse 7. He says, I myself have gained much joy and comfort from your love my brother, because your kindness has so often refreshed the hearts of God's people. Isn't that beautiful? Hebrews is thought by some to be written by Paul to the Hebrews or Jewish Christians who were being pressured to return to Judaism and to whom the writer, the writer says they should not because Christ 
is the mediator of a new and a better covenant built on better promises than the old. And that's in Hebrews 8, 6. But a key verse is Hebrews 7, 22, that Jesus has become the surety or guarantee of a better covenant. Amen? So that's what Hebrews is generally about. There's a lot of other beautiful verses in there. You know, come bold to the throne, all of those are in Hebrews. All right, now we come to the general epistles. We're almost there. You guys are doing well. Okay. <laughs> the general epistles, which are named after the authors, beginning with James, which is written by the Apostle James. It's a very practical book that shows us faith in action and what it looks like. Amen? Key verse, James chapter 2, verse 17. He says, so you see, it isn't enough just to have faith. Faith that doesn't show itself by good deeds is no faith at all. It is dead and useless. That's a New Living Translation. Really like that one, okay? James 2.26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Faith always results in some kind of action. Amen? He says, you can talk about your faith much as you want. You can tell the faith I have by what I do. And that's how it works. Okay. First and second Peter, which are written by the Apostle Peter, obviously, talks about God's grace and power, heaven as our home, and the surety of God's word, and living a godly life. Key verse is 2 Peter 1.3. says, Christ's divine power gives us everything we need for living a godly life. I like another translation that says, His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Life is our natural life. Godliness is our spiritual life. Amen? And it, I love it goes on to say this. It's in the New Living Translation. That He has called us to receive His own glory and goodness. Hallelujah. You know, people say, God won't share his glory. Well, read the Bible. That's just religious, what you just said. Okay, first, second, and third John. They're all written by the Apostle John. So I want you to notice the Apostle John wrote the Gospel of John. Then first, second, and third John and Revelation. He wrote a fair few books, amen, and they're quite amazing. And uh, you know what's interesting? He wasn't one of those intellectual people. But he's revelations were profound. You know, he's the one that said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's so simple, but geez! He deals with love and light, faith and obedience, fellowship with God, Christian conduct, and the fact, and I love this, that we are now God's children. Amen? It also deals with Christian discernment and Christian hospitality. That was actually 2nd and 3rd John, which we never got to. All right. <laughs> okay. Key verse. <laughs> oh, key verses. 1st John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. You know, walking in the light was a big thing with John. Verse 9. You all know 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And 1st John 3, 2. Beloved, now are we the children of God. Verse 8 says, he who does not love, does not know God, for God is love. That's where we get that from as well. Amen. Jude, written by the Apostle Jude, is all about keeping the faith and guarding against deception. Key verse is Jude, verse 20 and 21. It says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, guard and keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Fourth and finally, there's Revelation. Derived from the first word in the book, in the original Greek text, which is Apocalypsis. It's A-P-O-K-A-L-Y-P-S-I-S. -S. It means unveiling or revelation. 
It was written by the Apostle John, as I said before. It is a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ and has some of the most dramatic and frightening language in the Bible. Don't read it before you go to bed. Okay, all right. It, it talks about the future of the church, things that have been, things that are, and things that are yet to come. It has been described as a book of apocalyptic prophecies. Key verses. Revelation 1 and verse 1 says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. Revelation 21, 4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Hallelujah. That's where we're all headed for. Amen? Can't wait to get there. Okay, so that was a very quick look at the Bible and its contents. That's very quick. Okay, over time, obviously, you'll get to know more about this extraordinary book as you attend church. That's the reason why you need to attend church, read your Bible, okay? And uh, that's how you grow in God. And may I say, grow mightily in the Word. Hallelujah. All right. Now, I have a quick tip here. If you guys have trouble finding a book in the Bible, you know what I used to do with my marker? I used to mark the page of contents. So I would, <laughs> they tell me to go somewhere. I'd have it right where, because, you know, it's a couple of pages in the contents, you know. And so I'd have it, I'd just whoop it open, and there's all the names of the books and the page numbers. I'd get there really quickly and then find the chapter. So there you go. Okay. All right. Very quickly, I have run out of time, but I've got to deal with this. Bible translations. As you may know, since the Bible was written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, you know the uh, Old Testament was Hebrew and Aramaic. All right, New Testament was in Greek, all right? All the English versions have been translated from these original texts in one way or the other. Okay, that's the reason why none of them are exactly right. People say, which is your favorite Bible? I don't have one. I can't, because I get to a verse in my favorite Bible, and then I don't like it anymore. Okay, <laughs> so, hallelujah. I just, I just, you know, I just, whatever works, whichever translates something the best, that's my favorite Bible for that minute. Did you get that? Okay, it's for a minute. Okay. Now, there are three main categories that all translations fall into. There's literal, free, and dynamic equivalence. The Bibles that fall under the category literal translations, also referred to as word-for-word -word translations or formal equivalents, depending on what you look at. They are the King James Version, the New King James Version, New American Standard Bible, and the Amplified Bible. Those are some examples, okay? They attempt to keep the exact words and phrases of the original. All right? Because of this, they are sometimes a little hard to understand for various reasons. On the other end of the scale, there's the free translations. Okay? You know where this is going. Okay? They're also referred to as paraphrase or functional equivalent, such as the Message, the Passion Translation, the Living Bibles, the Phillips Version. They translate the ideas from the original text without being constrained by the original words or language. Even though they're much more readable, they aren't always correct. Okay, because they kind of get a little caught up sometimes. Finally, sitting right in the middle, okay, of these two categories are the dynamic equivalence Bibles, also called thought for thought or functional equivalence Bibles, such as the New International Version, the New Revised Standard Version, and my favorite, the New Living Translation, okay, which attempt to strike a balance between the literal and the free providing a thought-for-thought -thought translation that is easy to read and still quite accurate. I have found that the New Living Translation sometimes translates things more accurately than my New King James Version. So there is that. 
All right, so what's the best one? <laughs> I know somebody's going, yeah, but which is the best? Well, it depends on you. What do you want? <laughs> okay? <laughs> it's seriously, okay? If you're looking to read a Bible that's easy to understand, you know, and, and get an overall perspective of what is being said, then the free translations are the best. They increase historical distance on purpose to make the text more culturally relevant and simple to understand. If you're looking to do a private Bible study and don't want to get too caught up in what each individual word means, but still want something that is fairly close to the sentence structure of the original without being too formal and hard to understand, then a dynamic equivalence Bible is for you, like the New Living Translation. All right? Okay. If, on the other hand, you want to do a deep dive into every word, okay, and its various shades of meaning, hello, okay, and look at things like sentence structure and so on, when you're, that's generally when you're doing a Bible study or you're teaching in church, so on and so forth, okay? Then the literal translation is for you. If you're a person who wants it all, buy lots of Bibles. Or <laughs> you can get a parallel translation. Now, there are par what they call parallel translations where you can get two or three versions in the same Bible. And usually they'll try to give you one of each of these. Okay, so that you can sort of look at it. So, for example, you might have New King James, New Living Translation, maybe the message, just so it's all very different. So you can sort of read through it and kind of go, okay, this is what it was originally said. This is how they kind of let it go. And then this is kind of what they're trying to tell us. Okay, so there's that. Just so you know. Now, if you're comfortable or prefer going online, there's a whole host of Bible study sites, all right, such as Bible Gateway, Bible Hub, and many others that give you free access to all the major translations. I go there a lot of times when I want to look up 26 different translations or whatever. Because you know? <laughs> I'm looking for something. I, I'm not happy with any translation. And you'll find one, one, one somewhere in there that will get it right. But you got to go looking. I found one translation, the Lampsa. I didn't even know one existed like that. Translation that translates it directly from the Greek, which is where I understood that John 1.1, 1, 1, where it says, in the beginning was a word. It was, that was actually the word was in the beginning. Only translation that got that one right. Because it said that the word was at the beginning of everything in that sentence. The word was in the beginning. The word was with God. The word was God. See that? Okay. All right. So that <laughs> next quick question is, where do I start? And everybody says, okay, I got a Bible. Where do I start? Okay. So the best place to start is the Gospel of John. Again, if you're doing our New Christians course part two, we'll help you with that. All right. I'm going to teach you everyone, but we'll help you with that. All right. Uh, following that, you can go on to the book of Acts if you want. After that, you can go on to the epistles. There's Ephesians, there's Galatians, uh, there's Philippians, Colossians. Those probably are the first four that if you want to read, read those first. They will really bless you, okay? All right, so that's pretty much it. That concludes knowing your Bible. Okay, let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you today for your word, and thank you, Lord, for just helping us through this. I thank you that each and every individual that listens to this and goes back and re-listens to it, Father, that they gain more and more each time they listen to it. And I thank you, Father, that you are the one that wrote this. Therefore, we look to you, God, to explain it all to us, to reveal it all to us, and to bring it alive on the inside of us so that it goes from being just a word on a page to something that is living and powerful. Hallelujah. Just as Hebrews 4.12 says. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.